heroes, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Heroes, today we have computational linguist and brilliant game designer Catherine Himes on the show. You may know her as the co-creator of the Golden Cobra winning LARP Sign and the hotly anticipated story game Dialect. If you dig language, design, community building, and the incredible power of play, you might enjoy this chat almost as much as I did. <laughs> Let's get right to it. Catherine, what I wish to ask you first is what do you love about locksmithing? Oh, <laughs> I was not expecting that. Um, <laughs> you, you are quite an interviewer. Um, I, wow, what do I love about locksmithing? Um, I, uh, I love so much about it, I have to say. Um, I guess I should talk about my history with it. Sure. Um, I, uh, after, after college, uh, as you do, you know, sort of have an identity of self-crisis and, uh, and found that um, I really wanted a way to spend my time that kind of like used my hands and like, kind of let, let my brain relax. Mm-hmm. And there was this like shop that I would walk by every day um, in the, the college town that I was living. And it was this locksmithing shop. And I'd realized that I just had always kind of had a, a fascination for kind of like mysteries and secrets and codes and uh and it just kind of felt like it naturally fit into uh, a lot of my passion I would say and so uh I I just kind of took it upon myself one day to just walk through the door pretty brazenly and kind of walk up to this uh uh you know kind of older man's man and say like really you should hire me to uh to be uh wow. you know a locksmith trained in this store and I think he was a little taken taken aback <laughs> but realized that I, I could probably help him out a little bit especially like first you know behind the counter but but eventually kind of like learning the secrets of his ways and um and so that's what I did I spent like six months um studying to be a locksmith um, right after college uh, and before graduate school, and and it was awesome. Like, uh, I think what what's especially cool about it is like locksmithing is this trade um, where like you learn like like so much is passed on through actually doing something. I mean, there are books and and things like that, but but it's really like like tutelage. It kind of felt like medieval times. Like I'd be part of a guild or something like that, where like you know you I am the tutee and he is the tutor and like spreading the knowledge that way. So. That that is that is what I love about locksmithing, um, and now I get to like kind of break it out occasionally as a trick at parties, and and then very occasionally do indeed get to open up my door when I forget my keys. God, that's so useful. <laughs> it, it is a useful uh, it is a useful useful random hobby. I seem to collect those. Are you are you like a white hat lock picker? Like are you like sworn to do no evil with it or? What what are the ethics there? Yeah, there are ethics. There are ethic. They're legal. There's there's some legal terms that um that need to be laid out. Um, I at one point uh, had a certification in the state, but that sadly expired. So, but uh, I think the ethics uh, are are really like they can change from locksmith to locksmith. But um, but I definitely just use my my powers for for good and amusement. I would say I'm trying to. <laughs> I think amusement is definitely a good. Yes. <laughs> Now, does any of that carry over to what you like to see or what you like to make in games? You talk about that, the tangible, the physical, the, the mystery aspect of it. That is a really interesting question. And I really haven't uh, spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, I would say I am drawn to systems and kind of like thinking about about systems. And, and that's been something that's really useful in games. And you do that in locksmithing all the time. Like you have to kind of come up with a, a system for like how to key a building, say, or just even understanding how a particular kind of lock works. Um, and so like digging into the innards of something and, and kind of exposing its truth is, is part of locksmithing and probably part of game playing and like critically thinking about games and game design. I know that's pretty broad, but now, like when I think specifically about my games, uh, that's what's good. That's what comes to mind. So huh. yeah. you must be aces at escape rooms. So funny you bring that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually did an escape room this weekend uh, with um, with a group of friends, and we totally did not escape. It was really close. It was really close. Um, and what was so wonderful about it too is that like it was such a like a larpy experience too. Really? Yeah. Um, I I've been really I've been kind of seeing larp everywhere in my life now, which is a really yeah. wonderful thing. Um, do you see that too? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that's a LARP. That's a LARP. Those people are LARPing. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's like LARP spotting and like, uh, but like LARP in another name. But but yeah, this this real escape room, it was like 
would say it would had a time travel theme, but I felt like it was really effective just because of how much like real character interaction and building you had to do and I had to like, yeah, talk to the scientists and I won't give any spoilers, but but yeah, we sadly did not pass that. So whatever locksmithing ability I had did not translate into our success. <laughs> Uh, that's so funny. You talk about that, like once you get into role playing, you just like see it everywhere. And I think like LARPing especially. How did you stumble into the the beautiful world of role playing games? Oh man, yeah. Um, this is a fun thing to reflect on. I'm relatively new to story games, sort of in this more like modern new wave, like golden age form. But I I started I started role playing actually when I was uh, pretty young and was exposed through a friend um, who was a wonderful GM who would often GM um, like West End Star Wars games. Oh, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. Um, I actually recently had this very trippy experience over Christmas where I met back up with um, this old friend, my, my old GM, and he had actually kept my character sheet Aww. from when I was like 12. And I, I, I hadn't seen it in decade, a decade or more. And so um, it was really, really strange to sort of like see what like what my concept of like an interesting character was or like who I wanted to be effectively as a 12 year old. And then I played as that 12 year old or as, as that character again. So yeah, it started off when I was young, but I, I had a real lull, I would say, in, in role playing. Um, I think I, I didn't live near near my friend who was jamming anymore and, and I was busy doing other things. Um, and then I, I really got into board gaming in a very big way probably 10 years ago, I would say, yeah. And I, I really, I feel like I have um, much like broader experience in, in board games and played them, fell in love with them deeply and and just played everything that I could um, for a period of the last decade. Uh, it also became like a real part of um, my relationship with my, my life partner and, and co-designer, Hakan, for a while. Like we actually, on our first date, I, I shouldn't tell you this, but the, um, <laughs> we... Uh, we, we totally played Battlestar Galactica, the board game, which is like, it definitely says something about our relationship and who we are as people. Uh, we, we were also uh, long distance for a while, um, living in, in separate countries even, and like board gaming online, yeah, was a, was a good way of like interacting and like kind of breaking up the, the Skype chats um, to be a little mm-hmm. bit more interesting. Um, and so, yeah, that became a big part of it. And then, like, I started going uh, to board game conventions and found my way to Gen Con. Uh, and at Gen Con, I really kind of stumbled onto indie games um, on demand. And uh, through that in particular is where I played my first, like, modern real story game. Um, and mm-hmm. it was, like, it was kind of like this singular awesome experience where it was like, you know, where has this been all my life? This is kind of what I've been yearning for in, in board games for so long. And I just fell in love. Yes. I, you, you can't see, but I'm just jumping up and down right now. I totally <laughs> awesome. know that feeling. Games on Demand is great for that feeling. Now, I must ask, what game was it? Oh, yeah. Um, it was a, it was a game that I have never played again and, and actually haven't really stumbled on. It was a game called, I think it was called Cats. Or magical cats? Wait, cat? Like John yes, Wick's cat? Yes, it was John Wick's cat. Yeah, yeah, you have like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have like five stats, and they're like tails, claw, totally, and tooth, and something. Totally. Yes. Yeah, I know. I love that game. I know. It, it was awesome, <laughs> and and now I've had like uh, a wide breadth of different experiences and in, in games that are mm-hmm. like you know very different than cat. But I just fell in love, and and it was kind of like this instant instant knowing of self. It was like, okay, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. And then also like the people, like and the inclusivity that mm-hmm. I felt like in that in that room uh, and among those people in particular was just so striking of any community. I'd say that I have experienced, um, and especially in yeah. in gaming in general. So. Yeah. It's it's so beautiful to find that oasis, you know, where you're like, oh, these are my people. These are the people who get me. These people are going to be cool and I don't and I can like relax around or like, I don't know, let my guard down. Like, it's really cool to find people that you not only have similar interests with, but who you can actually like. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? That like just that that level of relaxation? No, I I completely know what you mean. And I feel like it it was it's been pretty exceptional, I would say for me with the indie storytelling community. I've tried to be involved with other Mm -hmm. communities and and some have like they're they're good and 
bad parts, but like indie storytelling in general has been an amazing example of just like a giving and an inclusive community, at least from what, what I've experienced of like a relatively small part of it, but a really beautiful part of it. Oh, no, my, my experience has been quite the same. I'm really interested actually in your experience of the community, particularly because you're out on the West Coast and I feel like almost all my exposure to um, like story games or like indie RPGs and, and LARPing has been like very kind of east, like northeast coast. So do you notice a difference when you like come out here versus gaming in California? I do. I do notice some difference. Um, I would say that like, at least speaking on, um, on my own behalf, like the, the gaming community, especially in Northern California and San Francisco that, that I'm in is, is one that's really taken like huge strides in the last year, but that it's still like really like formative and, and like it's forming right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like these amazing people that now I have found and who are part of my lives. And I'm so happy to have part of my lives um, that now we like we meet and like we talk about game design, play games together, but but it's still a relatively new, new feeling. And so I'd say like, a, like the feeling that I get similar maybe to what I've what I understand of the um, the Pacific Northwest gaming community there's a lot of people here who are um, mm. uh, especially into kind of like games that are um, about like the bones of storytelling like uh, the different games like maybe something more like microscope or um, or downfall um, there's there's some of that but I also feel like a really really deep appreciation for kind of visceral and cerebral games uh, and and an exploration of, of story through like really emotional LARP too. So uh, it, there's there's a lot of beautiful things there. I, but um, my feeling of it is that it's still a community forming, and I'm trying to be a part of like these indie game design meetups. And like I I end up co-hosting indie RPG storytelling meetup monthly with Akon. So we're kind of taking our first foray into community building. And there's a lot we have to learn. Um, but I but I hope to have a more definitive answer for you like in a year's time and be able to say like this is a California like homegrown brand of gaming but I think it'll happen and I'm excited to be a part of it that's really exciting um you know you talk about community building and for people who kind of who think like oh I wish that I had more gaming that I liked in my area or like I wish there was more of a community in my town what would um I don't want to say advice but like what experiences or what like solidarity would you share with people who have that those kinds of those wishes and wants Definitely a, a feeling of, of empathy, I guess, of, of also having that <laughs> desire. Um, I'd say that uh, Hakan and I are somewhat unlikely community builders in, in part, like, and just that we're a little bit more, like, introverted people. Uh, but it's something that, like, we just so, like, deeply feel like we want to be a part of this broader movement and to really just, like, spread the art of gaming in this way that, that like, we're just kind of compelled to do it. That said, like, uh, the biggest thing that, that has helped is really just knowing, like, true blue, amazing community builders um, through other, like, like who are, like, just, like, found throughout the community. Um, uh, I can think of so many names, but uh, especially, like, out of New York and uh, and the East Coast, where, where these things are, are just, I think, more more mature. Um, and then just being able to, to openly talk with them and, uh, and get get as much advice and uh, and modeling done as we can like i'd say like so much that what i've learned about safety in gaming um has come from like john stavropoulos i cannot pronounce his last name john stavropoulos and like his work in defining the the x card and and just so many different safety discussions i've had with a a variety of people and i definitely would want to bring that into uh the community that that we're trying to form um in san francisco make it be very like social justice friendly and have those like um, values on our sleeve so that people can really select themselves in and know what they're getting into and, and like what, you know, what we stand for. So yeah, definitely. What would you say has been like a success of the community building that you and Hakan and, and, you know, everyone else in the sort of your local gaming scene, um, has done so far? Let me see. Let me think. Um, I'd say a success has definitely been just spreading the good word. By the good word, I mean sort of like even just spreading role-playing games and indie role-playing games and like this whole movement that that's been going on for now a number of years, but that so many people just have never heard of. And like, there's just a net, like, so I spend a lot of time thinking about um, how to really invite new people into the hobby and think about like how I can better design games to make them um, inclusive of new people and like what are the right games to, to show people and, and how to pitch it. Uh, it. It's been really amazing to see um, a bunch of people from very different walks of life who like aren't 
people you traditionally find in a game store um, who play a role-playing game for the first time and it feels like that they are like using a side of their brain and identity that like has been asleep for a long time like they haven't actually like been mm-hmm. creative it's it's kind of starkly sad how like little outputs for creativity we have as adults um outside of people who really seek it out, you know, like through gaming and play and just play in general and kind of like trying to be a champion for how um, it's a really fundamental part of a a happy, healthy life. Yes. I'm I'm a huge advocate of play, which is one of the reasons that I'm the biggest fan in the world, probably. Well, I I think I flatter myself there, but I'm a huge fan of sign. Um, That's very kind of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Give give our listeners like the abstract of sign. Sign is a game about being understood. It's it's a silent LARP uh, that that centers on deafness and emergent language and, and play. And it's based on this true and really remarkable story of this totally new language being born in modern times, which is kind of unheard of. And that is the birth of Nicaraguan Sign Language. The The history there is that like Nicaragua in the 1970s didn't really have any form of standardized sign language. So as a deaf person, you were part of a marginalized group in a developing country and there was just kind of little little there for you, like few resources. Um, and so like many of these people would grow up kind of starkly alone and they'd, they'd have a form of sort of negotiated gestures with their families, but it was really, really limited. But in the late 1970s, like something happened, something incredible happened. There was a series of schools that were created that brought deaf children together from across the country. Um, and the, the original goal of the school was to actually teach these children Spanish through lip reading, but that like completely failed, totally failed. And instead, what happened um, was that for the first time, these children were like actually among kids who had had similar experiences to them in the world. They were like their true peers. And without any like shared form of communication, um, they did what was natural for them, which was to actually create create one, like create a new language, like on the playground at recess. Um, and, and from those like really humble, lovely beginnings, um, the language grew and, and then eventually became the national sign language of Nicaragua. So that was a long story, but basically uh, <laughs> in, in sign, like uh, players get to uh, experience like a tiny morsel of this journey. The idea is that you embody like one of these one of these children on their first day of school and then together through like the structure of the game and then the free form of play and just a natural desire to, to make friends and to make yourself understood, they'll end up like negotiating and defining the beginnings of their own language. Yeah, that's that's to- that's totally it. That's totally the game. And I think what amazes me is um, there's mechanics for coming up with sign words and a sort of sign vocabulary, and that's it's really interesting and really cool. And I can't believe how it carried over because I played it at, at a con, right? I, you ran it at um, Dreamation, totally. and uh, you know you me and the other people. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> You're a great, great facilitator. So I I found that me and the other players, we kept using those those words throughout the rest of the con. We played it on like Friday morning. And for the rest of the weekend, we would look at each other and do the, you know, the little gestures. But what I found was really interesting is that those helped, the words that we came up with helped. But for the most part, we understood each other and became understood through play. Yeah. Yeah. And so how intentional was that? Is that like the secret hidden like message <laughs> of sign? <laughs> uh, you know, at, like I think that it, it became it was something that we thought that we thought was very necessary. Um, like and that, that we were really excited about sort of the freeform nature. And actually, like through through playtesting, we were we realized that like originally we had much more kind of structure, at least in terms of like how words were defined. And we really thought that people would need to define more words. Um, and so older versions had people like kind of walk through and like was a little more heavy handed in terms of the, the like the language structure. But like even in just seeing the game played, it became clear that that was like largely unnecessary. The species will just find a way and play is so <laughs> it's so powerful. And uh, yeah, it's awesome to hear that you like kept some of that of that language. And I think like because it's especially like language that's born out of play or just like negotiated agreements of how you're communicating through play, like there's just such a warm feeling behind what what's created there. Yeah. So both in terms of, of playtesting and now that it's kind of a finished product, 
what has the experience of running this game been like? I mean, how are you able to to perceive and understand the the experiences that the players are having as a facilitator? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, one of the things that's that's really kind of delightful for me as a, as a, as a facilitator when I do facilitate is um, is kind of to, to look away and be separate from from kids like during during the recess portion of the game as they're really defining and kind of negotiating their language and then like looking back um, later and realizing that actually I can't follow along what's being said so there, there truly is like something special going on among like the people who are playing that is uh, very specific to that like instance of people and like the frame of mind they're in there but in terms of like of more more broadly like what has kind of come to light and and like Mm-hmm. What um what's been really uh, illuminating just in designing the game and refining it and playtesting it, facilitating it is just um like there is a lot to learn about designing for for people who aren't you and just like for a group that I'm not directly a part of and then in particular I talk about like the deaf um and, and deafness mm-hmm. and what that means. I uh, like I originally had like knew of this story um, from like my background in, in linguistics. Um, and it's an amazing story that, that I love. And I feel like has a lot of like, it's just a triumphant story coming from like a, you know, really the hands of children of a marginalized group in a developing country. But there's a lot to think about beyond that, just when you're trying to or define and design an empathy experience for people um, mm-hmm. who aren't you and, 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 you know, and I'm not, I'm not deaf and not part of that group. So a lot, a lot has been done just to um, inform myself. I know Hakan um, has done a lot as well. And really like just ask questions and seek out advice. We've just sent, uh, sent sign to now so many people to kind of try and get their input. And it is, uh, it's really amazing to see what uh, even like non-game designers and, and people who are in various parts of the community, be it they're part of the deaf community or like like a linguist studying sign language, like what they're able to point out and say. And I'd say like we've really kind of refined the game to, to reflect a lot of that. Um, the other part I think is just kind of being brave and like realizing that this is a story that really should be told and, and I'm glad to be a part of the telling. So, What would you say is or was the biggest challenge to you in making this game Th- this was your this was your first game correct yes it was totally it was a God, golden copa amazing oh well i guess actually the first question should be i know that you encountered this story as part of and you have a background in linguistics but what about the story made you go like oh i should larp this yeah um that uh yeah so part of it i would say um was really uh getting deeper into the, it was just timing um, was some of it. Um, it was uh, getting deeper into the community. I just actually come out of an amazing big bad con. I was just feeling very newly inspired and I know uh, Hakan was too. And we were like, you know what? We are going to submit something for the Golden Cobra this year because like, you know, we, we just need to make something and kind of be a, be a deeper part of this. And so the, the Golden Cobra had a couple of constraints. I'm even trying to remember what, what some of them were. Part of it was like designing, I think, for different different groups of people, um, and as well as like incorporating touch, I think was, was part of the sort of the design inspiration too. And language is just like um, something I wear on my sleeve is like a, a huge passion. And so it, um, it just kind of fell into place as a story that I had been thinking about, I think, or it just had come back up in my head. And then I realized it really matched the the design constraints, I felt like, of what the Golden Cobra could be. And so it was just sort of a beautiful timing moment. Nice, nice. Well, once again, we keep talking about language and signs about language. Yeah. And so is your other um, Long in the Works upcoming game, also with Hakan, uh, Dialect, which I also got to play for the first time at Dreamation. Yes, it was so great to have you in both games. Oh, yay, thank you. I, no, it was totally my pleasure. Um, so what is the, like, just for the for the benefit of my listeners, what's the, like, 30-second elevator pitch for dialect. Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea of dialect is to tell a story while building a language and really, like, play with language as a window into identity, like, for a group of people. So dialect's a, it's a story game where players will define a community that's in isolation, um, and then we end up telling their story. But in particular, we, we focus on language like language is the lens of telling these people's story um it's like the window into their identity at any given point in time so we look at how like the community's speech changes 
um, as they evolve, like as they face challenges and establish values and like reflect on on everything that they've left behind, and then players they embody characters within this isolation and then begin to use this emergent language to express the interactions within the community, and and that really breathes life into the story. And eventually, like players decide how the isolation ends, and then um, we collectively experience sort of the decline of the language and look at how the community lost its identity along the way and what it's remembered for. So it's really like a language building, storytelling, world building romp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great pitch. That's yeah. definitely for the for the back cover. Great. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so sign is based like in a historical story. What was the inspiration, or what were the inspirations for dialect? Yeah, um, dialect was uh, was was really like born out of kind of like just this uh, this idea that came all at once, really, which was just like can can you tell a fulfilling story um, while building a language, and then mm-hmm. does this language itself like kind of become the artifact of play that the players can like take with them and like use to invoke like their 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 table time you know weeks later like that that was the hope I have um, I have a background in linguistics and I've I've loved language since I was itty bitty and then also I've been involved uh, in the past in constructed language uh, as a community on the internet so conlanging um, so I was aware of like conlanging um for the uninitiated is uh, uh, okay because yeah. I, I almost want to stop the whole interview and be like, tell me everything about <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It is this lovely, another lovely corner of the internet um, that is filled with people who like. I think how have I tried to pitch this to people like who read Lord of the Rings and their favorite part of it was the appendix that talks about Elvish grammar. Um, so <laughs> hooray! Yeah, I know. Uh, there, uh, yeah. So there's this whole community um, on on I think in the internet where it's really gotten um, a lot uh, more well well defined, but but it, it goes back ages of people who just like make up languages for fun or for for different purposes, and they use them often like to explore explore some goal or something that they think is beautiful or 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 even like that have like a broader goal like there are languages like Esperanto that were meant to be sort of like this like universal language for the world um like be a part of the plan for world peace but um but yeah so there's this like growing um language community in constructed language that that I've kind of been on the fringes of for a while and so kind of thinking of of a story game where we can kind of borrow like some of the the best of that community and some of the delights um and then you know showing it to people who um, might not have thought of language um as like so critical to identity and and just like sort of the inner workings of of how it affects like their brain and all of that like being able to explore that in in Mm -hmm. a game sounded super fun and and so that's the goal okay there's like there's like two there's a forked path of questions yeah. I want to go down, but I'm just going to pick this one first, which is, you know, you talk about language and linguistics, not just as a subject of gameplay, but also as a tool of it or like as a goal of it. Could could you elaborate on that at all? Totally, totally. Um, language as as a design tool, I think, is, is a really powerful one and fairly um, unexplored in, in games as, as far as I can tell. And part of why it's so powerful is just because like language is really is really awesome I mean it uh it's something that's like innately human um and like really fundamental to the way that like we we define ourselves um it's like when you start actually thinking about how much of your identity is conveyed through the way that you speak like beyond just like what the words themselves mean but like in talking to you Alex I'm kind of communicating like who I am like in terms of maybe my, my age and where I come from, like you can probably tell I might have a little bit of like Southern California Valley girl in me and like the, uh, uh, and how I'm feeling and emotion. And there's just so much of my identity um, that that's communicated through that. So I think like as a d- design tool, that's like this new and complex view of, of identity. It's, it's just really cool and very powerful. And there's a lot that can be done with that. There's also just, um, there's the fact that like language in particular is is just something that 
is very fundamentally human and like humans are really good at processing language so it's, it just speaks to like how fundamental it is um, as a part of our brain um, and so when you kind of like begin to poke at language you're effectively like kind of staring at the structure of the brain and how it organizes itself like I, I was thinking uh, about about this recently there was um like one way that this can, can affect design is just in information management, which is something that you have to think about when you build games, like how much new information can people take on at particular points of time and like when is the right time to introduce new things and, and so on and so forth. And actually, um, Jay Lee and Jason Morningstar um, had this like awesome LARP workshop at uh, Metatopia last year. It was called, um, it was called something like Patterns in LARP Design. Yes, 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 yes. I was totally there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of the things that was really cool that they talked about um, in particular was uh, like short-term carrying capacity or sort of like the ability to like take on new things in short-term memory um, and like how that's actually really limited. And there, I think there's even like a particular number. I don't have the handout mm -hmm. with me, but there's like a number of things you can kind of hold in your mind at, like for a short period mm -hmm. of time. But, uh, but I feel like language kind of skirts it because it's kind of connected to more like to, again, fundamentally kind of how we have like how we interface with the world and and how our brains are organized that I found that people can really take on um, new language and create new language even in, in some of um, in some of the games that I design uh, and just do so very naturally. So people are like really good at it. And so it's good to design, like like to use a design tool or to have like a ready design tool, that, something that the humans are just naturally kind of excellent at. It's also just super sticky. Like uh, it's awesome. <laughs> Like like people just remember words or at least I do and and like it sounded like you had an experience like that too even with sign like you know and it's fun so uh, I I really hope to see a lot a lot more games using language as a like a fundamental tool yeah and, and that's a really great reason too too because it's fun yeah damn it yeah damn it <laughs> that's the best reason to put something in your seriously, game seriously it's really fun. <laughs> Now, do you see dialect as, um, at least secondarily or tertiarily, a way to teach people about linguistics or get them thinking about linguistics? Yeah, you know, I really hope so. Yeah, that would be a wonderful, I'd say, um, side effect of the game. Um, like the fundamental part of the game is definitely to have fun, like you say, and and so that's that's where a lot of the uh, like my attention is. But I, I'd love for people to just be sort of more reflective of of language in general, like and how how it's conveys identity and, and then like to, to start asking questions about their own language and, and other languages and hopefully create another champion and, and language convert and then I'll have done <laughs> my, my secret mission can move forward into designing games about locksmithing, which will be wonderful. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Now, what do you think about role playing as, as a teaching tool or a teaching technique? I think it's super powerful. That is is definitely one of the ambitions that, that we have for Sign. I'd love for, for Sign, like Sign right now has been a, a game that's been played um, in the community, but I'd love to see it be used as some kind of empathy tool um, in schools. Um, and so I've kind of started the first conversations and seeing what schools are open to it in like the LAUSD or the Los Angeles Unified School District in the San Francisco school area. So I think that there's there's a lot of potential, like, it's an experience in empathy, I feel like, any any role-playing game. And also, like, uh, an experience in, in in creativity in a way that, like, few other things really get to, like, tap into. And that's really powerful. It's something that, that like, we just lose too quickly as, a, as adults. And so I hope that if it's, like, more explicitly called out, really anywhere in the world, but but in schools and one of them, that, that I think that that would do, do a lot of good. Yeah, the the value of play and not just not just for very young people. What do you think is the value of play to an adult, like just to a random adult? What do they get out of play that they're not getting elsewhere? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like play. Oh wow, the value of play. It's it's a big question too. Um, it's just this very honest happiness, I, I guess that um that is uh, that is something that. I feel like the world needs more of in general. Um, it's like, it's also, it's something that is often like built with other people, like like play. I mean, you can certainly play alone um, and, I, and I do that, but like part of it is just connecting, connecting with others um, and uh, in a way that is 
like less rehearsed and it, and and just uh, like very true, I guess. Uh, and, and that's something that um, like it, it's like so like we spend so much of our time as adults kind of building up these like. Uh, these different personas and like kind of LARPing our way through the day as like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like as like good, good citizens and good colleagues and like good lovers and all of those kinds of things. And, and like play is just this completely new landscape um, where like you can experience so much of like what you what you can't experience in your own life, the kinds of things. And, I, and you see how how natural it is for for kids, like I have a niece, and I um, now that I think a lot about play, I love I love going and, and visiting her, and and just seeing how how play is so natural for her, and like it's so easy for her to like you know like just say that we're gonna be we're gonna be fish under the sea, and just see where that goes. And um, at the same time, I'm also in um, I'm in my first, or I guess this is my second improv class. Um, oh, and awesome! So, yeah, yeah. It, I'm very new to it, but it's um, but it's also it's like it's the other side of that. Now, like what's beautiful about improv is you have like these adults who are now taking like their, their very little free time and money to play together ultimately and like, and have it be okay. Like have this, uh, alibi this cover. Yeah. An alibi <laughs> of playing. Uh, so I kind of get to see both sides of it. And, um, I think it's really transformational for people. At least that that's what I've seen in my own life. Um, and, and I think I've seen that in others. Yeah, gosh, kids playing. I just, I very recently had the opportunity to just in like uh, keeping an eye on my nephews to just like watch them play with other kids at a park. And like, I've had some amazing experiences LARPing, but I'm totally blown away by kids' abilities to just be like, hey, other child I've never met before in my life. Let's have fun for two hours. Boom, done. Like, holy shit. I know. Yeah. It's like, what's my problem? Seriously. Like I have way too much hangups. Like, oh. uh, you go to a party yeah. and you're like, please God, let there be someone I know. That's I where know. when your child, you're just like, I have a ball. <laughs> I know. I know. And that I need more of that. Like having more, more balls in my life. I guess. <laughs> that should be the quote of this. <laughs> yeah. That's going in the, uh, in the description, maybe in the metadata. <laughs> um, Another thing I want to ask you about is that um, sign and dialect and your upcoming Xeno language, which I'll ask you about in a bit, these are all games that you're co-creating with Hakan Seaglioglu? Uh, yeah, that one's a hard one. Seaglioglu. But yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'll edit it so it just sounds like, yeah, she nailed it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so the two of you have made these games together, and I have to ask, uh, what does that working relationship look like? Is there a division of labor? Is it chaotic? Is it... Uh, fun <laughs> yeah 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 totally no, that, that's a it's a really it's it's a question that I've had to like reflect on like more and more recently just because we spend a lot of our time doing it I would call it like chaotic is probably the right word for it actually <laughs> um it's not very it's not very orderly um but it's it's also really um it's really wonderful. Like, like Kakan and I have uh, known each other for a long time, but actually, like, and, and we have a lot of the same, both same but but different passions. Mm. We've never really made something together. Um, I, I'd known like, I've had like colleagues in the past who like created things with their with their life partners, and and it was always something that I was like, oh, just kind of scratched my head at, and just didn't like, yeah, didn't didn't see myself really doing that, or like I saw a lot of inherent difficulties and potential complications with it but now I, I've gotten to see some of those but also just like the really beautiful side of like kind of having this uh this creative like output and connection with with your partner that um I had never experienced before and and what's what's cool is that um we we really come with very different strengths um I would say to to game design and just to thinking about problems in general um I'm a really, really lateral thinker. I often just have like kind of this like less structured, you know, mind space that I feel really happy kind of sitting in and kind of taking ideas from. So that that can really lend itself well to certain kinds of like creative creative feats and, and aspirations and, and work that you do in, in game design. And Hakan is really is very like uh, structured in his thinking um, and that really lends itself so well to like finding like the right mechanic and uh, and and it, it isn't even that black and white like we now really switch roles too um, and I think that in part inspired by each other and and that's been really exciting to see too just um, kind of growing together in this way that's really new and unexpected but chaotic is definitely still the word we're still Trying to find like the right separation, I'd say, in our relationship <laughs> between like people who build things together and then just, you know, 
people who live mm-hmm. life together. So that's interesting. Would you say that that making a game together is kind of a way to get to know someone in a way, or get to know them on an awful lot better? Yeah, um, I <laughs> I have I have found that. I, I don't have any other data points besides a con, but I can definitely say that um, you know even for someone who who I've known very well, I discover new things about him every day through through game design. So. That's fascinating. Gosh, that's sorry. That's just really, really interesting to me that like there's more than just like the utility, like on a very basic level, two people making a game, probably going to be less work than one make one person making it all themselves, you know, but then also that there could be a benefit besides the product of that experience. Yeah, yeah, that um, and and I feel like that that's something that that we feel, um, uh, and it's just something that 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 reinforces um, the relationship kind of as a whole, and and really adds something um, different to to the game and like what 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 is ultimately made from it. Yeah, it, we really didn't originally go into it as a, as a, a way to more efficiently kind of produce a game or, or anything like that. It just mm-hmm. became sort of like you are the, you know, the person that I that I probably spend most of my waking hours or, or you know, talking to more than anyone else and like just kind of organically through that. Um, it was almost like a like play, a game design through play, maybe. Maybe that's the way to, t- <laughs> to say it. Um, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So what would your, I mean, you really jumped in um, with both feet, with sign, uh, in terms of getting into game design. What would the wisdom be that you would pass on to someone who either hasn't made a game and who is thinking maybe they want to or they think they could never make a game or they've got one in the works and they're like, oh, I'll never finish it or... Yeah. What, what's your advice to first-time game designers? That's a yeah. That that's a great question. I would say like just hubris and and jumping in and kind of like <laughs> um, yeah. That, that that's like that hubris can be your friend. And the, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. like part of it too, I, I found is um, like I've tried to make a lot of things in the past, and I mean like I, I make. I, I have to make things at work during the day, so I get part of that itched. But but there, you know, there's a lot that I realized I want to say outside of my my you know nine to five, um, and just a lot about things that I'm passionate about. And and at some point, like you just become like it, what I felt. What I found really helped with me was just stumbling on an idea. And in particular, one was like the idea for for dialect, and and it just felt like something that I really needed to see in the world, and and that of all the people who should do it, it 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 should it might as well be me, <laughs> like I should be a part of it, and 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 that I felt like you know what like sort of passion and and like real compulsion almost like that that really drives you through like the the troughs and and valleys of of what it what it takes to actually like make something and, and definitely in the thick of that now and, and not pretending it's easy, but, but just like kind of blind confidence is something I've found can, can be helpful. <laughs> just put on those wax wings and just get up there, you know? Yep. <laughs> That's interesting. You talk about the, the troughs and the valleys. Uh, what would you say is the, the hardest or the biggest slog of making a game? Yeah. Um, oof, um, can be different different things at different times like like playtesting is something that is both wonderful and absolutely necessary and also um, um, terrifying and and at times it can be like heartbreaking but again like wonderful and necessary and so doing playtesting um, and like making time and and like getting energy in your life to do that with with as many groups of people as possible I'd say um, can be is hard but like ultimately extremely rewarding like um, uh, both in terms of just, uh, you know, making a better game and also just, just meeting very, very different people. I'd say I, I've had some of my, I've had my best playing experiences playtesting and then also some of my worst. And that, that's just, uh, it kind of just speaks to that sort of trough and valley, valley thing. So, mm-hmm. so sign, sign is up there. Sign is available. Anyone can go to um, thornygames.com and print it out and play it, which I recommend you do. Dialect will be available soon, someday, yeah. maybe. <laughs> is that going to be like a little printed book that I can go to a game store and buy? Yes, that is uh, that is the hope. That is uh, <laughs> that is the conceit, hopefully. Yeah, that, that's what we're working towards. Um, our plan is to kickstart Dialect sometime in the late summer. Um, and so we are spending uh, our nights and weekends and, uh, and sort of our 
hearts and energy on on making that a reality. So well, there's there's no one else in the San Francisco area who's ever done a Kickstarter. So I hope that you have someone you know that you can talk to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. And what I'll have to do is have Hakan on at the end of the summer, and then uh, and we can talk about the Kickstarter then and see what his perspective is. Yeah, that'll be awesome. He'll be in a totally different mind space. Uh, yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> He'll be like, just let this be done. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, looking even further afield, uh, what's this I'm hearing about Xeno language? Something about extraterrestrial translation, maybe in a game? Yes, Xeno language is, is like like the, the goal is really to kind of explore how language affects thought, um, and and it's really just based off of this story um, that I love love um, so much by an author named Ted Chang. Um, he's a, a science fiction writer. He's, he writes uh, sparingly, but but all of his stories are just amazing, so I can't recommend them enough. Um, but the story is called Story of Your Life. And so uh, the game is really kind of a, a different way to, largely inspired in a different way to experience this story. Um, and the uh, the setup is that, like, it's in the near future, five minutes in the future, and uh, we've, we've just made first contact. And so the player and players um, end up embodying this linguist who's been tasked with deciphering an alien language. And the idea is that as you gain fluency in this language, you slowly begin to see the world differently and, and how that affects who you become and, and how you look at your own life. So yeah, I'm excited for it. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see uh, what happens. Have you, have you ever read The Dispossessed by Ursula yes, Quinn? Yes, I love that book. Uh, oh. Okay, good. Awesome. Yes. Excellent. We both had the same so much uh, reaction. Yeah, it was like this guttural yeah. <laughs> Yes. That is excellent to hear. <laughs> um, everyone should go and read that for reasons of linguistics and, and many, many, many more. Many more, yeah. Um, um, Catherine, we're, we're almost out of time today, but uh, you know what? I've done my research. i got some hard-hitting journalism coming at you right now. Oh, good. Uh, when... Are you going to make a LARP about French rock opera? <laughs> awesome. Um, oh, gosh. I, I feel like I've, I'm already overdue for that. The uh, Oh, man, you have done your research. I, I feel like, what have I, like, what trail have I left online to lead Alex to this gold? Um, man, soon, yesterday, I, I should really do that. Like, I, uh, so I guess the backstory there is that I um, loved, uh, like, French rock opera as a kid, like, uh, at some point, I think maybe I was exposed through an ant or really like the dawn of the internet or something like that when this is mm-hmm. just like, they are these like highly bombastic, incredibly dramatic, uh, forgive me, but I'll say stereotypically like French, wonderful, like, mm-hmm. um, or like the caricatures of, of French that, that we may have, like operas that, especially some that were like popular in like the, the early 2000s and late 90s. Um, and there's one in particular that I just loved so much. It was like on repeat in my house um, called Notre Dame de Paris. Um, and so uh, it has like, costumes and dancing and and just really everything that you could want and imagine from a French rock opera. So <laughs> I, I will put that on my short list, I, I think, now of, of things that I should design towards or like, grow into as a, as a designer. So thank you for the inspiration. Excellent. Good. I want, I want someone to light that fire. Yeah. Um, you speak French or you understand French, correct? Yeah. I, it's been a while, but yes, I, I, I yeah, I, Yes. <laughs> can I can I ask how many languages you speak, or is that like the most gauche linguist question? No, no, it is it is it is a very common question. I would say, and then I have to answer it kind of like a linguist, which is to say that like I I tinker in languages. I would say that the language that I speak most fluently outside of English is actually Hungarian, um, which really? is yeah, uh, very. Uh, I, I ended up um, spending about a year and a half of my life living in Hungary and had studied it, studied the language beforehand. Um, and it's a fascinating, quirky, almost alien like language in and of itself. But like, I love playing with languages and, and in terms of like competent play, uh, I think I've probably gotten up to like six or seven, but, uh, yeah, fluency is something that, uh, that is sort of another animal entirely. I'm also wondering if your definition of fluency might be different um, than maybe lots of other people. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Is, 
does Hungarian have like a a lot of compound words, like multi compound words? Yeah, or am I thinking of something else? No, no. Yeah, well, Hungarian is um, okay. Cool. If we're going down this path, Alex, yeah, then, like <laughs> let's buckle up. And I'm gonna get out my my drink here. And no, um, so Hungarian is is an agglutinative language, and so what 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 that means is like. You, you effectively, like, build up words that can, like, quasi-become sentences unto themselves. And so, uh, mm. yeah, yeah. So, like, you can, like, say, like, a single word and have that effectively be um, a whole sentence. Um, and so it, like, starts out with a, with a stem. And then you can just keep on tacking on different prepositions and affixes wow. in there. Yep. And then end up with something totally different. So sometimes when you see these, like internet listicles that talk about like the longest words in any human language like they'll kind of parade around like different languages within that that same group or, or category because you can just like arbitrarily just kind of like stick stuff on the back so wow. yeah oh, now i now i want the now i want the game about hungarian <laughs> now i want the game that teaches me hungarian <laughs> i'm demanding a lot of games of I, you, and, uh, you, I hope you deliver <laughs> high demands so <laughs> um well Catherine, it was great chatting with you yeah um super likewise want... oh thank you um if our listeners want to keep up with uh what you're up to and what you're putting out and talking about uh where can they best do that they can do that uh at uh my online home with hakan which is uh, our indie game studio called thorny games so thornygames.com is where they can find all of the goods Perfect. Well, uh, I think that wraps things up for today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Oh. A wonderful end to the day. Oh, yay. Hooray. Yeah. Um, are you going to be at Living Games? Oh, I wish. I wish. No. Unfortunately, Hakan will be there and um, he'll, oh, he'll actually okay. be running sign, but um, but I won't be able to. Instead, actually, um, so we had to divvy up like who can go to what, but I am in, in its place going to um, New World Magiscola, which I am. Oh, shit. I know. Because you're going too, right? I, I've read yes. your Google Plus post. What so. weekend? What weekend? Weekend three. And oh, then we talked about Wizard School for a very long time. <laughs> Heroes, thank you as always for joining us. And of course, a huge thanks to Catherine for coming on the show. Uh, there will be links to her projects and to many of the things we talked about in the show notes. If you have thoughts on today's episode, remember that I would love for you to get in touch via email, backstorypodcast at gmail.com, on Google+, Backstory Podcast, or on Twitter, at Backstorycast. Backstory is part of the OneShot Podcast Network. You can go to OneShotPodcast.com to find more great shows like OneShot, Campaign, Modifier, and Talking Tabletop. Our lovely music is by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and if you like it, you can hear more at SoundCloud.com slash Ujiko. Talk to you later, heroes. Heroes.